I just want to kind of warn you first. Anybody ever drink water out of a fire hydrant? That's kind of what's going to happen today, okay? Because I got so much information that I want to give you guys. Be ready to take notes because this is, this is really important. We're going to be talking about specifically uh, the nine gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned out of 1 Corinthians 13. And there's always a lot of reference. I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago if you guys were here. But I listed it with other gifts that are in the Scripture as well. But these are ones that are specifically given by the Holy Spirit, and uh, they're, they're, uh, they're a little bit different flavor than gifts of administration. Or All of those are important. These are a little bit different, and a lot of confusion is there about that. Paul actually starts 1 Corinthians 12 out with this. He says, now about spiritual gift, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, how many of you know he was not trying to insult anybody? Right, if you call somebody ignorant, ignorance is simply I don't have the knowledge about a specific subject. So like when it comes to uh, brain surgery, can I tell you I'm ignorant? Right? You don't want me operating on your brain, let me tell you. It's like it doesn't even matter if I slept in a, what is it, a motel, Best Western or whatever. Oh yeah, I can do this, I know rocket science. No, if you don't have knowledge, you're ignorant. And there's a lot of people that have a lack of understanding because of misteachings, because of uh, whatever situation, maybe just never been taught, and so they don't have the understanding about spiritual gifts. So I looked at the word ignorant right there, and there's actually three uh, definitions in the Greek. Uh, one is just a failed understanding implying a lack of capacity. There are some things that we just can't comprehend, am I right? Like some people, like, you know what, I just can't figure math out. They don't have, you know, and some people's brain is wired for it. Like I can do two plus two, but don't start throwing all the alphabet in my numbers, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? So uh, uh, some of it's just a lack of capacity. I don't have the ability to understand that. That's okay. Doesn't mean you're dumb. That's just where we are. The second definition is just simply to not know. I don't have the information. Like I remember when I was in school and I took algebra, uh, when I first took it, before I, I didn't have the knowledge, I was ignorant. I took the class and all of a sudden I had the knowledge, a few years later passed and I was back to ignorant again. They may, how many of you know, it's like I learned algebra but I forgot it all, right? So uh, anybody there with me? Come on, I'm, no, I'm not the only one. But, but really it's just a matter of learning the knowledge and the last one this is where I hope none of us are at. It's to ignore or to pay no attention to. I don't want to know about it. I believe what I believe. Anybody ever meet someone like that? I believe what I believe, and I don't want to hear what you have to say. Well, let me show you what the Bible... No, I don't want to hear what the Bible has to say about it. I'm just going to believe what I... How many of you know that's really ignorant? All right, because God's Word has changed my thoughts, my opinions on a whole lot of subjects. Am I right? Right? So it shouldn't be like, I believe what I believe, and then all of a sudden you uh, find new information and you read what God's Word says. Uh, what happen should happen is that I change my belief system based off of what God's Word says. Amen? If I just say, well, I know that's what God's Word says, and I've met people like this. I know what God's Word says, but I'm still going to believe what I want to believe. Doesn't matter what the Bible says. Well, if that's the case, what are you following after? Where are your, you know, well, I've always believed this. Well, that's wonderful, but we want to be biblical Christians, amen? amen. We want to stand uh, on what God's Word says. So what are the gifts that we're going to talk about? I'm going to read them real quick out of uh, 1 Corinthians 12. He goes to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. So he's saying a manifestation. There is like a supernatural manifestation of the Spirit given, and it's given for the common good. It's given to benefit others. It's not given so that I can benefit myself. He says, to one there is given through the Spirit the message or a word of wisdom, to another the message or a word of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same uh, one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another, I'm going fast, right? To another speaking in the different kinds of tongues, still to an another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines, okay? 
So I'm going to give you, there's a, a common grouping that somebody did just so that you can understand the different gifts. There's uh, gifts of revelation, gifts of power, and then gifts of vocal gifts that are given. And, and, to, and so three of the gifts are here, three here, three here. I'm going to cover six of them today. So you guys, that's why I'm saying you get ready to hang on to your hat. We're going to call, talk about the gifts of revelation and the gifts of power today. And, and I think this is important. Why is this important to even talk about? Why do I even know that? And I believe this. This is, a, I believe in my heart, that in order to be a healthy, biblical New Testament church, we need all of the gifts in operation. Amen. Amen. Not just one, not just two, not even just six. We need all of them operating. Here, here's what I want to tell you. If all of those gifts were important back in the first century, how much more are they important now? Right? It's not like, oh yeah, they were important back then. They helped establish the church. Listen, the church is under attack. We need the gifts of the Spirit in order to build ourselves up. We need the Holy Spirit active. I don't want to come into a church where, where maybe we sing some songs and hear a message, but the Spirit is not there. We want, we want God to be active, amen? And, and let me tell you, I've read a lot. I've been a pastor a long time. I've been to uh, trainings on what they call church revitalization. And what that means is they go into churches that have either plateaued or declined, and they're like, okay, here's what you need to do. Almost all of them will reference Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And I just want to read it because I'm sure it's familiar to some of you. This is first century church. This is what it looked like. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everybody was filled with all, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the Lord. And I love the end. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So that's an ideal church right there, right? That's how the first century's church started out. And, and I've been reading a book. It's really good. It's called uh, Back to Acts by uh, James Cossey. And he makes this statement in here. He goes, we cannot expect to experience an effective Acts 242 through 42 ministry unless we have received the promise and endurment of power. Acts chapter 1, 8, Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. As a result of that, we have Acts 242 church, right? Does that make sense? Like if you don't have the power, so a lot of times we're trying to have an Acts 242 church without the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work, does it? And, and, and when we begin to, you know, you can build a big church. You can get, how many of you know, just because you have a lot of people doesn't mean you have an Acts 242 church. What well, was one of the things? Miraculous signs were happening. Listen, if you don't believe it happened, just because it's big, just because it's loud, I've heard this phrase before, you can have a church that's a mile wide and an inch deep. How many of you know we want to be deep? Because I believe the deeper we are in the Lord, God will add, amen? So, uh... Uh, the church, we want to have the right model. I want to be a church where the Lord adds to the church every day those are being saved. That's why we're going to the fair. That's why we do some of the things that we do. Not just because we're bored and we want something to do. I mean, I am praying for good weather during that time. But even if it's hot, we want to see people come to know the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. So uh, I wanted us to look at all the gifts because I believe the gifts can be, happen in a church setting. Uh, but they also happen in your personal life on a day-to-day -day encounter no matter where you're at. Whether you're, you're at the convenience store or you're at work or you're mowing your lawn and you happen to live where there's neighbors at. Some of you guys don't have a neighbor. You can't throw a rock to hit your neighbor, right? Uh, but wherever you're at, the gifts of the Spirit can be operating in your life. Amen? So let's look at them. The first ones we're going to look at are the gifts of revelation, which includes words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. And uh, wisdom and knowledge are different. A lot of times people are confused. Well, what's the difference in that? I'm going to give you a super easy definition, and you'll never forget it again. Wisdom is directive. Knowledge is informative. Does that make sense? 
Like wisdom will give you direction on what decisions to actually make. Knowledge just gives you information. It's like, if you don't, here's the thing. The purpose of wisdom, it is to give us that right direction. Let me give you an example here out of Ecclesiastes. Using a dull axe requires great strength. So sharpen the blade. That is the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. All right, so you can, uh, you can take a dull, anybody ever try to chop a tree with a dull axe? All right, it takes, you can do it. You're going to get there eventually, but you're going to be really tired. But wisdom gives you the ability to succeed, to really do things the right way. So that's what wisdom, wisdom and knowledge are kind of interdependent a lot of times as well. Look at what Proverbs 15.2 says. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing. How many of you know knowledge in somebody that doesn't have wisdom is just irritating? <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? The know-it-all? You know, as a pastor, I've had a lot of people with the knowledge telling me what I'm doing wrong. Right? Oh, you ought to do this, and you ought to do that, and you ought to do that. It's like, thanks, Einstein. Right? <laughs> But without the ability to give, this is, this is how we're supposed to do it. That's what wisdom does. It gives us the knowledge on how and the wisdom on how to actually put it into practice. I mean, I've met a lot of people that have knowledge, but they've caused a lot of destruction. Yeah. Am I right? Why? Because they didn't have the wisdom there. These, then these gifts, here's the thing. The reason I believe that it says a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom is because God only gives you a small amount. He's not imparting all of his knowledge. He's not imparting all of his wisdom. He's giving you what you need at the time you need it. So I'm going to give you guys some examples on all of these out of the scriptures. Like in Acts chapter 15, there was an argument going among amongst the church. Anybody ever surprised at that? There was a disagreement. What do we do with these Gentile believers? They got to be circumcised. They got to follow the Jewish law. They got to do all of that. And, and there was disagreement that was going on. And then all of a sudden, uh, I believe God gave James a word of wisdom to begin to speak to the crowd. And it's in verse 19. James says, It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from the blood. So that was a word of wisdom. How do we know that? Because I believe that the mind of God was revealed, and all of the sudden, all of the arguing, all of the discussion just kind of calmed down. All right? Everybody, all of a sudden, their mind was opened up, and like, whoa, that's a good idea. Like, why didn't I think of that? Because that was given by the Holy Spirit. And, and you can see when that happens, all of a sudden harmony comes to a church. Right? Harmony comes into that situation. In, in verse 22, uh, they're, getting, they're like, hey, listen, that seems good to the apostles and elders. We're going to follow through with this. We're going to send some people. They write a letter to the, uh, the, the people there, and they're like saying, listen, this seems good. And this is what it said. It says, it seems good. To, uh, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Because when you get a word of wisdom, it's like, wow, that was really good. And you might think, oh, that person was just really smart. But you really know, man, that was a word from God. That was a word of wisdom. Because what happened is that the church began to flourish. If the wrong decision would have happened at that time, that could have really hindered the church going forward. If they would have required everybody, I mean, let me just be honest here and a little candid. If the requirement to be saved was, men, all you got to be circumcised if you haven't been, now many have been like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to have to think about this really hard here, right? Uh, no, you're not having to follow that. So that was a word of wisdom that really set the direction of the church in a healthy way. Now, that's a large-scale context of the, a word of wisdom, but can I tell you that a word of wisdom is, can also happen one-on-one. -on -one. Right? Somebody's struggling. Sometimes people have come up for prayer, or, or maybe you're in a discussion with somebody, and all of a sudden you offer advice about it, and you're like, wow, I don't know where that came from. And that person's like, wow, that's really good advice. Where did you get that? And, uh, you know, it's like, well, that must have been God. This isn't wisdom that we obtain by personal experience. Right? Sometimes, I mean, we all gain wisdom, am I right? 
This isn't that. This is wisdom that is beyond even what you understand. Maybe giving wisdom to somebody that's going through something that you've never went through before. Right? That's possible with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and it will speak to them. It will help them. A lot of times God gives us just enough wisdom to take that first step. And we're like, okay, I don't know now, Lord. And then uh, he'll reveal the next one. So that's word of wisdom. The second one is the word of knowledge or words of knowledge. Uh, again, close relationship, but it's very distinct from wisdom. Knowledge will just give you facts. Wisdom will give you, again, the understanding on how to apply that. So uh, when we need to know something and it is not obtainable through our natural ability, like there's no way that I would know that, uh, God gives that knowledge. And it may be just a word. It may be uh, an incident. And I've had this happen numerous times where people are like, hey, did somebody tell you what I was going through? Because you, you shared that, and it's like, no, I didn't know. Uh, prayer time. How many of you guys have ever prayed for somebody, and you just began to pray a certain word, and, and it connected with that person? You're like, wow, man, I'm, I guessed right. No, you didn't guess right. That was a word of knowledge the Holy Spirit dropped on your, in your heart. You spoke it out, and God used it to speak to them. Amen? Let me give you a big example. Uh, Acts chapter 4, towards the end of the chapter, starting at verse 34, this says, There was no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them, bring the money to the apostles, and give to those in need. Now, that was not a requirement. That was just something that people did. Now, there was a couple in Acts chapter 5 that thought, Oh, man, there's getting a lot of recognition. I'm, I want to do that. And so it says, there's a certain man named Ananias, his wife was Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, and yet he claimed it was the full amount. So how many of you know that's a lie? With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. And Peter said, Ananias, why have, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. How many of you know that's a word of knowledge? Peter didn't have any way of knowing that. There was no such thing as Zillow or anything where they could see how much the house sold for. Hey, I was just looking online and, you know, your house looks like it sold for this amount. No, there was no way that he knew that. Other than the Holy Spirit dropped that word of knowledge in him. And he says this, the property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. He could have come back and say, hey, listen, I sold my house for such and such amount, and I'm going to give this amount to the church. How many of you know? Nothing wrong with that. There was no, no requirement in that. But he says, how could you do such a thing? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Now, the rest of this story is obviously Ananias dropped dead. How many of you know? That's a scary thing. All right, that's a scary thing. And, and they took him away. Eventually, his wife came in, repeated the same lie that took place. And, uh, and the scripture says, well, let me see. It. Everyone, it says everyone who heard about it was terrified. Like if you went to a church and you heard the previous week somebody lied and dropped dead, we're like, I'm going, we're not advertising that on uh, the fair. Just want you to know. Uh, that's kind of scary, right? That's a little frightening right there. If you jump down to verse 11, it says, Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard it. So people then weren't even a part of the church were hearing that. It's like, ooh, I don't know if I want to go to that church, right? That's a little bit scary, but this is an incredible example of a word of knowledge. They were, here's the, here's the importance of it. Ananias and Sapphira were trying to cheat God. They were trying to make themselves look more spiritual. And, and I believe what this word of knowledge impact is that it brought conviction to the whole church that God really is there. Right? There, there was this knowledge. Peter received it. And I believe it preserved the integrity of the church to try to keep hypocrisy out. And it brought conviction amongst the believers and the unbelievers that God is real, that he is mighty, that, that I've got to be real with him. Can I tell you, we live in a day and age today where people don't fear God, right? There's no, oh, yeah, well, I mean, people joke about going to hell. I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to party with my neighbors down in hell. Let me tell you, I just want to tell you, there's no party in hell, all right? There's, the, the only barbecue going into hell is you. Those that don't make it, you're on the grill. So, uh, okay, that, that went over bad. So anyway, <laughs> I 
That's what happens when I plan a joke. It always falls flat. The ones that are funny are the ones I don't plan. But anyway, that word of knowledge, I believe a healthy fear of God puts us in the right place. How many of you know, I don't put my hand in fire because I'm afraid to get burned. Anybody else? I make sure that I put sunscreen on me because I burn like 10 minutes in the sun, I'm going to be burned. Right? I have a fear of sunburns, so I put that on me so that I don't burn. Having a healthy fear of God keeps us in right, right relationship with Him. In my devotions, I just recently read through Song of Solomon, and I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't usually get a whole lot about it. I turn a little red sometimes when I read Song of Solomon, but uh, in chapter 6, verse 10, there is this phrase that says, As majestic as an army with billowing banners. And they're like, what in the world are you talking about? Uh, I believe the church should be an army. And if you were an enemy and there was an army of ships coming, especially back then, and you saw all those billowing sails that were there, that brought fear into the army. Like, oh my goodness, look, they're coming. Yeah. And, and, and I believe that the church should be that army. I believe those billowing banners are the gifts of the Holy Spirit that when they're in operation and you're able to give a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom to somebody and they know it was God, can I tell you, they're like, wow, you know, how did you know that? It, it displays God and who he is. Amen. In the New Testament, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the finger of God. How many of you realize that? Sometimes that finger, and uh, I don't know if my mom and dad are watching, but my dad, he didn't spank us, but he did discipline us with his finger. All right? Anybody have a dad like that? It was like, and it was like, ow, 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 you know? It was poking. And uh, uh, sometimes we need the finger of God to point out the areas of our life, and the Holy Spirit will do that. He will do that. Amen? So, uh, uh, this is so important for us to grab a hold of. In 2000, let me tell you, Pastor Colleen and I were uh, getting ready to move as associate pastors from Colorado Springs, and we didn't know where we were going. And, and I remember she got, I believe it was a dream, but it was a word of knowledge in a dream. She goes, God showed me what the house is that we're going to live in. It's going to be this brick house with a big backyard. And, and, and I really felt like God was showing me that it was going to be a city. Wherever we went, there was going to be at least 5,000 people and been within an hour of a large city. Now we sent and we're praying, God, where we're going to go. We looked all over the place. Uh, we ended up in a little town called Giddings, Texas. You know, when we got there, we really felt like everything was right. They, they, we got a, the house that was provided. It was a brick house. It wasn't a big house, but it had a big backyard. And it was like that word of knowledge, like, okay, this is confirmation to us. We were within an hour of Austin, Texas. And the only thing that, was a, that wasn't a word of knowledge... There was only 4,100 and something people on the population sign. And I thought, well, Lord, two out of three isn't bad. So, you know, we went to the, to the church, but this was in the year 2000. And how many of you know they do the census every 10 years? So from the time we left until we moved back, they put up the new signs. And it had population 5,100 and whatever it was. And I was like... Those words of knowledge were confirmation to us because we were scared. We went from associate pastors to lead pastors, and it's like, okay, Lord, I, well, I'm a little nervous doing this, but those words of knowledge brought comfort and assurance to us that we were exactly where God wanted us. Amen? So word of knowledge can be powerful. The next one is discerning of spirits. This is important. Some translations say distinguishing of spirits, but here's what it is. It's the ability to recognize, identify, and distinguish between various kinds of spirits that confront us. And you may not realize that there's a, we are spiritual beings. Some of you know that. I know we are physical, but we are confronted every day, whether you realize it or not, by spirits. And it's like, I'm not trying to creep you out or anything, uh, but look at Ephesians chapter 6. It says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Can we all say that again? We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of what? The unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realm. 
We have a spiritual battle that you and I are in. And when you have that discerning of spirits, what happens is that God lifts that veil of this unseen world. And you begin to see what the, the world that we really have to deal with. And can I say this? If you only deal with the people of this world in the natural, how many of you know you're going to lose? If you're going through something and you fight it only in the natural, oh, I'm going to file a lawsuit on them. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. Uh, we're going to miss it. And, and I want to say this. Do you realize that politics and politicians are not our problem? You're like, wait a minute. You know what? Well, look at what they're... There's a spirit behind that that I believe is our problem. Because you can vote people in and you can vote them out, uh, whatever. If you never deal with the spirit behind that, how many of you know Satan's just going to replace the next one with the next one? Right? And with the next one. So we have to deal with the, the issues of our country. And yes, they are big. We've got big issues in our country. Am I right? And it's not going to be solved by politics. It's going to be solved by believers that begin to deal with the spiritual forces in this unseen world, in the dark world, and begin to fight against that so that God will begin to put righteousness back in place. Amen? Amen? So we've got to see it for the right way. God helps us to begin to see that. He protects us from deception. Do you realize the enemy, the Bible says that the enemy comes sometimes as an angel of light. He appears to be beautiful, very good, very, oh man, he's so wise, right? But the purpose is always evil and destructive. Sometimes God uses this gift to help us to help others. Uh, and, and let me just say this, the gift of discerning of spirit is not the suspicion of motives. All right, think about that. I mean, let me just say, the longer you live, natural discernment we get from being wise and experiencing people and, and, and seeing people's character, this is not what this is. It's looking for those that look good and being able to see past that. And we need to understand that discerning is, there's various spirits that we encounter. I mean, number one, the Holy Spirit, right? It's good to be able to discern if something is the Holy Spirit or not. Am I right? So you have to be sensitive. There's also angels. And listen, I'm not preaching a doctrine on that, but there, there is encounters, biblical encounters, where angels have delivered words to people. We've got to be able to discern that from the fallen angels, demonic angels, that will want to present something good, only they have destructive means. We've got to discern that. And then there's just the spirit of man. All of us have body, soul, and spirit. So discerning that is, uh, is important. So let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, discerning man, uh, man's spirit. Uh, Jesus, when he uh, first was introduced to Nathaniel in John chapter 1, it says, as he approached, he goes, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How did Jesus know that? And you're like, well, he was God. No, Jesus was not operating in his divine, uh, divine authority that he had. The scripture says he set that aside. He was relying on the Holy Spirit, just like you and I. And the Holy Spirit revived, hey, listen, this guy's got integrity. All right? Even before he knew him, even before he ever kept his word. And so God can reveal uh, and discern a man's spirit and give you that when it's necessary. Another example is in Acts 27, and I'm not reading the scripture, but uh, Acts 27, we read the story of the Paul on a ship that was about to get shipwrecked, and it says that an angel appeared to him and, and told him, hey, listen, you all got to stay together. Nobody's going to get hurt if you all remain. That was an angel that appeared, and, and it's interesting that this angel appeared, but Paul's the only one that discerned the angel. Paul was the only one that had, that, uh, had his spirit connected, like, oh man, that's an angel from the Lord. So that's a discerning of a spirit of a man, of an angel. What about an evil spirit? Does scripture give an example? Absolutely, there's a lot of them, but I, I want to look at this one out of Acts 16. This is Paul. He, it says, one day we were going down to the place of prayer. We made a sla uh, met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. How many of you know we call those what? Fortune tellers, right? You can go right down the road. Have you ever wondered, like, how are they still in business? Who is giving enough money to these fortune tellers? Because we're like, they're just crackpots. 
Uh, I mean, that's what most people think, but the reality is they have a, a spirit about them. They've got an evil spirit that actually helps them to tell things that we wouldn't know. How many of you know the demonic can do that? So stay away from it. She had that spirit, and as she earned a lot of money for her master by telling fortunes, she followed Paul and the rest, shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Right? Is that true? Yeah, that was true. But why would that have been a bad thing? Because this is an example of Satan coming as an angel of light. Saying the right thing, and here's the enemy's purpose in that. His purpose to bring confusion because the, the fortune teller gal is now speaking truth about these guys, hoping that these guys would be like, yeah, that's right, listen to her. And what that would do is put fortune telling and the word of God on the equal ground. Yeah, I mean, think about that. It's like, oh, yeah, they confirm me, you confirm me, and, uh, and, and we're just all kind of the same thing. I'll tell you what, you talk with some fortune tellers, and they're like, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the... Yeah, you may believe in him, but you don't have a relationship with him, right? So what happens, this is going on. I don't know why he put up with it as long as he did. Maybe it took that long for that discernment to happen, but it says then one... Uh, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated. One of the uh, versions says uh, basically he got annoyed. Anybody ever get annoyed at the devil? All right, that's okay. So, and he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out, and instantly it left her. So the evil spirit was discerned by Paul, cast out. Uh, man, those are, we need that in the church today, am I right? We need the gifts. We need the gifts of knowledge, of wisdom, and discernment. So that we can operate, because I want to tell you, the enemy wants to cloud us. There's enough preachers and people on the internet that will want to tell you what you want to hear. We want to know what God wants to say. Amen? And they will come in a way that sounds good, but if you don't have that discernment, you're going to miss it. Amen? So, other one, gifts of power, faith, healing, and miracles. Uh, this first one of faith, and I'm going to go over a little bit. I hope you guys are okay with that. Faith is something, it's really kind of a stepping stone to miracles and healing. We need it, but here's the thing. Some people struggle with that because don't we all have faith? Yeah, you can't have, you can't have Jesus without faith. Faith is a little bit, it's presented in three different forms in the New Testament. There's the number one, the faith to live by. This is what we kind of call saving faith. We need that in order to be saved, to accept Christ as our Savior. We're putting our faith in Him. There's the fruit of faith in Galatians 5, one of the fruits of the Spirit. But then there's the gift of faith, which is found right here. And, and let me give you the definition on that. It's a supernatural impartation of just a tiny portion of God's own faith to accomplish God's purpose in a certain situation. And I'm, you're, I don't know if that catches you. What do you mean God's own faith? Uh, let me explain. How many of you remember uh, Jesus said all you need is a how big of uh, seed? A mustard seed of faith. Let me take you to the scripture out of Mark chapter 11. The, as Jesus was cursing the fig tree. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf, a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. So he just spoke it to them, right? The tree. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree, he had cursed. The disciples noticed it had withered from the roots. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree the previous day. And he's like, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed was withered and died. Then Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe, and it will, it will happen, and not doubt in your heart. So, have faith in God. That sounds very simplistic, right? All I got to do is have faith. I mean, Jesus just spoke to it, and, and, and when he was questioned, he says, have faith in God. Now, that's most English translations translate it like that. But in the Greek, if you go back to it, it's basically saying have God's faith. Have faith in God or verse have God's faith. How does God have faith? I mean, doesn't he? It's more than just believing in him, right? But he says have God's faith. Uh, for the translations that translate it more according to the, the Greek, 
uh, the, the Bible in basic English that says, have God's faith, the Jewish New Testament, have the kind of trust that comes from God. Uh, this next one, have God's faith again, or the Montgomery New Testament, take hold of God's faithfulness. So what am I saying right that about having God's faith? That if we have just a tiny mustard seed of God's faith at any moment for God's purposes, we can say to the, a mountain, get up and be removed and thrown into the sea. I mean, in our mind, we're like, oh man, I've got to really work my faith up to get to that point. Oh man, I, I better quote these verses more and more and more. I bet, you know, how many of you know faith is not positive thinking? Just think the right. Just think the right. I can't doubt. How many of you know the moment you start saying don't doubt, that's when you start doubting? Don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. Oh, man, I doubted. Right? Oh, man, it happened. Right? It's not about that. It's not about trying to work yourself up. This gift of faith is given by the Holy Spirit. And, yes, it's been abused. Let me just say, it has been abused. Name it and claim it. Just do it. Right? Uh, people use that for their personal gain and their personal profit. The gifts of the Spirit are given for the common good to build up the body, right? Not your personal bank account. Let me just say that. And it's not the quantity of faith. Oh, man, i got to have more. And I hear this all the time. I've thought this. God, I just need to have more faith. If I'm going to throw that mountain into the sea, i got to get more. i got to get more. It's really, it's the quality. God, I need that faith that you give me. Lord, I need that faith that you give me, that mustard seed. Yes, it's good to desire the gifts of the Spirit. And, and, and you know, 1 Corinthians 14 says, like, and you can say, God, I need that kind of faith. I need it. I can't make it happen in myself. I can trust God's Word. I can believe God's Word. But God gives this kind of uh, faith that causes us to begin to believe for the impossible. How many of you know we need more of that in the church? Amen. Amen? Like when casting out spirits, uh, Jesus... Uh, it says, Matthew 8, 16. Do I have that one? No, I don't. I'm just going to read it. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast them out with a simple command. Right? Just a simple command. He spoke the word. Paul cast the demon out of that girl with a, uh, a word. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He didn't go and say, oh, come on, Lazarus, you can do it. Get up. I, take that binding off. Do it. He didn't do that. He just said what? Lazarus, come forth. Right? A simple word spoken out in the faith that God gives you, then that you can see amazing things happen. The next one is gift of, of healing. I'm going to get through this, I promise. Uh, scripture, it says gifts of healing. Both of them are plural. I believe because we all need more than one healing. Amen. We need physical healing sometimes. We need spiritual healing. We need mental healing. How many of you know sometimes our mind just needs to be healed? There's nothing wrong with that. God can do that, right? So what's the nature of healing here? God's divine supernatural power channeled through a human believer into the body of one who is sick, dealing with the sickness and replacing it with health, right? So many examples because, first of all, there's no formula. We understand that if there were formulas given, we would follow that rather than trusting God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've got to do the formula. I've got to do it. You know, got to spit mud in the guy's eye, right? So uh, uh, most of Jesus, third of Jesus' ministry was dealing with healing sick and casting out demons. In uh, Luke chapter 4, it says, As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick. And he says, No matter what their disease, the touch of his hand healed everyone. So I don't know how to explain it other than somehow power was in Jesus and it got transmitted. That's why the scripture talks about laying on of hands. And, uh, and, and somehow all of that stuff takes place as, as that touch from his hand. Mark chapter 5. One day Jesus was teaching. Some Pharisees and teachers of the relig religious law were sitting there. And uh, let me just jump down. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. What are we talking about there? A supernatural manifestation of healing was in that room. Have you ever been in a place where you just felt like healing power was there? Like there was something going on that was beyond what is normal walking into a place. Listen, God's presence, when it settles in, there's a time when the healing power of God is evident. And you can sense it, and you can begin to feel that uh, even in the air. I remember, uh, you know, growing up in the Midwest. How many of you guys, anybody grew up in the Midwest? 
when there were electrical storms going on, how many of you know you could feel the static electricity in the air? Like the people that have like really fine hair, all of a sudden their hair is kind of standing up. Like, what's going on with that person? It's the electricity in the air. Supernaturally, there are times when God's presence is so heavy, and it's like, man, healing is going to happen. You just kind of know it. The gift of healing is evident, and you know that it's there. How about uh, Acts 15? As a result of the uh, apostles' work, sick people were brought into the streets. Peter's shadow might fall across some of them. How did that happen? It wasn't like, you know, he has this great Peter Pan shadow that's doing amazing things. It was the healing power of God was there. And for whatever reason, you know, don't worry about my shadow. Pastor, can you get your shadow? No, it was faith in God that was there. What about the woman that had the issue of blood? And and she's like, if I can just get through and and touch the hem of his garment. And, And I love Jesus' response was, who touched me? And his disciples were like, everybody's touching you. You're in a crowd. Everybody, that's like walking through the New York subway and saying, who touched me? Uh, Everybody, (laughs) right? So his healing power was there, but there was only one that got that healing because there was a touch. She believed. Her faith released that healing into her life, and a manifest change began to happen. So God's healing power is there. We've just got to begin to press into it, amen? We've got to begin to say, you, you don't try to work it up. Just say, God, I need that gift of healing. Lord, I need to be healed by you, not by anything that I can do. I mean, real quick here. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought into the street. Okay, I don't have the verse that I was going to read. Acts 28. It says, as it happened, this is when after the shipwreck. I, you can tell I'm trying to get through this, so you all be patient with me. Uh, he got to the island. Uh, the father was sick with fever and dysentery. And it says, Paul went in, Acts 28, 8 and 9, and prayed for him, laid his hands on him, and it says, he healed them. Talking about Paul. Paul healed him. Then all the other sick people. Now, we know where healing comes from, am I right? It comes from God. But God put that power that Jesus had within us to begin to heal other people. Not us, not that we can take credit for it, But I believe God gives those opportunities, and that was the fill-in right there. There is a time, I believe, when we have an obligation to heal. Like when those times come about and somebody begins to tell you what they're going through, how many of you know we need to pray for them? Right? We need to pray for them. And listen, I know it's awkward because uh, sometimes it's like, hey, can I pray for you? And they're like looking around, you're like, well, I'm not in a church service. Uh, But lay hands on them and pray for them. If, If they say no then uh, say, I'll pray for you later. But if you have that opportunity, do it now, right? Sometimes we don't even give God that opportunity because we're like, hey, I'll pray for you someday, right? And I don't know about you, but I usually forget if I do that, right? So it's like, take that opportunity, pray. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. Go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure the lepers, cast out the demons. I love what he says, give as freely as you have received. Right? We're going to go to the booth. We're going to have conversation. If somebody comes up and begins to tell you about their ailments or they're like walking in on three limbs or, some, or whatever, you know what? Don't just like, oh, man, that looks painful. Right? Wow, are you okay? Hey, just, just offer a prayer. Can I pray for you? Can we pray for you? That doesn't have to be weird or anything like that. You'd be surprised at what God will do. But we got to give them the opportunity. All right, give me five more minutes, and I'm going to get through this last one here. Miracles, all right? Healings and miracles closely related, but they are different. Uh, Healings can be gradual. I mean, those of you that were here in 2019, I had a major back issue. I mean, I was taking, literally, I would take four Advil at 6 o'clock, and then in between first and second service, I would take four more because my back was hurting so bad. I mean, I couldn't hardly move. I was like looking around like this, and it, was, it, it went on for a number of weeks. It was horrible, but I remember, I mean, as prayer, and it was like within about a seven-day period, it started getting less, less, and less, and I haven't had an issue with it since. So I'm saying that was, that was a healing. Healings can be gradual. They can be invisible, like nobody could see what was going on with my back or if there's cancer or anything like that. Like if you pray and somebody rises from the dead, how many of you know that's not gradual? That would be weird, right? 
Somebody that's watched too many zombie movies would be freaking out at that point right then, right? It's got to be instantaneous. Either you're up or you're not. I mean, the gifts of the Spirit, I heard somebody say that it's compared to a rainbow. They're distinct in color, but they kind of bleed into each other, right? There's not a black and white how you can, how you can do that. But miracles are things that happen where uh, otherwise it, it wouldn't be happening. Like if you're, if you're blind and all of a sudden you receive your sight, how many of you know that's a miracle? It's a healing, but more than that, it is a miracle that took place. Now, the principle I want you to get on this, you know, the scripture says faith without works is what? Yeah. Right. Sometimes we need to act upon our faith, right? Not just sit back on it uh, like that. And John chapter 9, I'm just going to tell it. Uh, Jesus, uh, the man that was born blind, this is when he did spit in the mud and, and put it on his eyeballs. And then he told him to go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. At that point, this man has a choice. He just got spit mud in his eye, right? And now Jesus is saying, go wash in the pool. He could have been like, that was the most disgusting thing that has ever happened to me. I'm out of here. He would have never been healed. But he took a step of faith and is like, okay, I'm going to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He had to take a step to activate that miracle that happened in his life. And can you imagine what that was as he began to wipe that off? All of a sudden he began to see, right? If he didn't do it, he would have missed his miracle. Another situation when Jesus was on, going to Jerusalem, there were 10 lepers that approached him. And he said, he said this, he goes, go show yourselves to the priest. And the scripture says, as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Yeah. They weren't healed right there while they were standing in front of Jesus. But as an act of faith, release the miracle working power. And we don't know, we can only imagine, what was that like? Go show yourselves to the priest. And they're you know, looking down, it's like, no, I still got leprosy all over me. You need to heal it first, and then I'll go. No, he says, go. And so they went in obedience. They did that act of faith. And I don't know if it was gradual. Every step that they were taking, all of a sudden, like, the skin disease is getting smaller and, you know, all of that. I mean, you can imagine, if you can see all of that happening, eventually they were probably in a sprint to the priest, right? Like, this is awesome. But we have to take that and realize that there's going to be required sometimes an act of faith for God's miracle to take place. Amen? Amen. This is, this is important right here as I wrap it up. When Peter and John were at the gate, how many of you remember the lame man that was there? And he was begging. What was he begging for? Do you remember? Money, right? He was wanting money. That's what he was reaching out for. I'm at the gate because I can't make a, a living because I'm lame. I can't stand. And so he was reaching out, expecting some kind of money. And, and, and some of you guys know, what was Peter's, Peter and John's response? All right, I heard it. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have you, I give to you in the name of Jesus. I don't know if they were broke or not, but they knew money wasn't going to fix them. Money was, it was only a band-aid over him. They said, what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus. And can you imagine reaching down and grab somebody that hasn't walked or maybe hasn't walked in years and pick them up and all of a sudden muscles are reforming around their legs and, and they're able to start walking. That was, a, that was more than a healing, right? That was a miracle. Now here's my challenge to us and why we need the gifts is because I think somewhere along the line we have reversed it and we're no longer like Peter and John. We see somebody in need and we're like, oh, you know what, silver and gold? Well, I, all I got is 10 bucks, you know. Can that help you? You know, I got 20 bucks. Can that help you? And we're now going back from what Peter and John did and we're trying to throw money at people in need that simply need a touch from God. Amen. Amen. We need to begin to operate in those gifts. Maybe they need a word of knowledge. Maybe they need a word of wisdom. Maybe they need a miracle in their life. And all we want to do, our world today just wants to throw money at problems. How many of you know that doesn't solve any of them? We keep throwing more money. Oh, maybe more money. Let's raise more taxes and throw more money. 
When are we going to get it that that doesn't work? People need a touch from God. And as the church rises up, and, and not that sometimes people need some money, right? I'm just going to say that. But more th important than that is that they need people that have faith, that have the gifts operating in their life, that will be willing to step out in fear if need be and say, hey, listen, can I pray for you? Begin to ask God to give you those gifts so that you can be like John and Peter and grab people that are down in the dumps of life and say, hey, listen, I, I don't have, you know, the things that I have, it's not going to help you, but I have Jesus and I know that he can meet your need. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's why we talk about the gifts, not because we just want to have really good services. I like good services, Hallelujah. right? I love it when the gifts are moving, but I want to tell you, the world needs people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, moving in the gifts in their everyday life, so that when they encounter that, all of a sudden they get a miracle in their life. Amen? Can we take a step of faith? Can I have everybody stand today? Can we take that step of faith and, and, and do like 1 Corinthians 14? Desire spiritual gifts. Not so that you can go around and like, oh, I got this gift. Look at me. No, but so that I can, when I encounter people, that I can give them something that, that, that is beyond me. I can give people what they really need. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. They need hope. They need something that, that is real. They don't just need 20 bucks thrown at them or whatever amount of money it may be. So I just want to take a moment. If you're here today and you say, I, Lord, I want your gifts flowing in my life, can you just raise your hand where you are? Lord, I desire those spiritual gifts. Lord, I'm not looking to impress anybody. I'm not looking to show how spiritual I am. Lord, I just want to be able to be used of you to touch as many people as possible. Lord, I want to offer my neighbors and my friends and the stranger I meet on the street, Lord God, hope that only comes from you. Lord, not just with words, but Lord, your word says with a demonstration of your spirit's power. So if that's you, make that your prayer. Next week, we're going to be covering the other three gifts. But I would just encourage you this week, begin to ask God, God, I want your gifts manifested in my life. And when those opportunities come, don't let it pass you by. Somebody tells you your woes, you tell them about Jesus. You, you offer to pray for them. You offer to, uh, to point them in the right direction. Amen? Amen. So uh, we're going to get ready to kind of do it. We've been doing this. Uh, remember, we got the sign-up sheets out in the foyer. But if you need prayer for anything, I know uh, uh, Pat and Sean are up here. And uh, maybe Delton and Janet, if you guys could. Maybe Robert. Or, or if you want to pray for people, we want to take that time and do that. If you need to be touched by God, you need a healing or a miracle, uh, listen, we believe God for it. It's not a matter of working it up. It's something that God gives. Amen? Amen. So uh, as we, uh, we do this, I'm going to pray. If you need prayer, come on up. Otherwise, stop by the table out there, sign up on the booth, and then we will see you guys. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for your gifts. I thank you that you came to empower us. You didn't tell us just to go into the whole world and do it on our own. But Lord God, you equipped us with your Holy Spirit to go and accomplish the things you've called us to do. So, Lord, we have a world today that needs you. Lord, empower us in the supernatural, Lord God, to display your love, not just with words, but with our actions. Lord God, I thank you. In 